Welcome to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for April 10th, 2017, featuring former Brooklyn Poet Laureate D. Nerksy leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC, Jason Koo. This was a very special yop as it was the fifth anniversary of the event, which dates back to April of 2013. At that original yop, there were nine students in the workshop and something like 25 guests at the open mic. So it's been amazing to see this event grow as much as it has, and that's thanks, no doubt, to all of you who come out and support us every month. This month's open mic lineup featured Safet Bektesevich, Charlene Guerna, Adriana Gofredo, Alex Sarah Giorgio, Harvey Sauce, Donna Hunt, Kelly Ginn-McGarter, Richard Fine, Abby Conklin, Isaac Myers III, Gabriel Victor Cummings, Bill Considine, Del Lemon, Arthur Russell, Tess Congo, John Marr, and last but not least, Matt Proctor. So without any further ado, the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic. Enjoy.
your poetry <laughs> faculty tonight is also in the anthology, of course. That'd be like such an F you if we like didn't include him in here. Uh, he's got one of the best poems in it called The Grain. He will be reading actually next Thursday. It's one of our feature readers, so don't don't miss that. Uh, that was an interesting applause. It was like thigh applause. That's <laughs> the first time I've heard that particular kind of applause. That's good. Okay, uh, this is the Book Poems Yop Open Mic. Uh, it's National Poetry Month. It's pretty much the same shit, you know. <laughs> we call it National Poetry Month. All the same rules apply. Uh, meaning, if you're reading for the Open Mic, you get three minutes on the Open Mic. Please keep your time. It is a packed list. If you glanced at the wait, wait list, it's like up to 50 poets. There's no way we're going to get to all 50. We try to get through at least 20 if we can. Uh, we always get to at least a few people on the wait list. Um, that said, uh, that's, that's, that's that part of the course. That's what I meant by that. That's, that, that's, that part is done now. <laughs> the wow. next part is we vote for poem of the month at every yacht, which we uh, decide by audience vote. So if you would like to vote for poem of the month, the number, which is the first time I'm going to give to you tonight, is my own cell phone number. 718-374-1953, all right? I ask that you wait till the end of the night to vote for Poem of the Month so that, uh, first of all, it's fair because you've heard all the poets, because <laughs> you know who you're voting for, uh, and second of all, so my phone is not blowing up while I'm trying to live tweet this shit, all right? 718-374-1953. If you want to vote for yourself, you can. It's really not the point. <laughs> the point is to vote for somebody else. Of course, I'm not really going to know that unless I have your phone. I have your number in my phone or your phone. What else? We tell you? 718-374-1953. I will be repeating this ad nauseum tonight. So get Don't ready. forget about the yacht cast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, game, my game is improving, Arthur. Like, there is so many. So many. You of the year, very uh, We do record every Yop Open Mic that we publish this as the Yop Cast every, I think it's the Tuesday after the Yop Open Mic. So if you don't want to be in the recording, you should tell me that afterward and I will strike you from the recording. It's very easy to just evaporate your voice. Uh, it's actually not easy, it's a little bit difficult, but that's fine. You know, it's just add to my workload. Uh, keep that in mind when you make that request. And what else? Uh, now you want to be in the off-cast, speak into the mic. Yes, it's very important. See, he is an important guy. After Thank all. you. Please speak in the mic. Please speak into the mic. It makes a difference. Every month I'm frustrated when I listen to this thing in my car and I can't hear certain people. It's because you're like reading back to right? So just read into the mic or speak very loudly. Uh, I think that is all. Yes? I'm excited to get started. All right. So our first reader of the night is the man you just took a class with. Give it up for Dennis Nursey. Thank you. When Jason says next Thursday, he does not mean this coming Thursday. These poems relate to the topic we were talking about. The first poem is The Poles. Just when the disaster was about to strike, the asteroid plummeting towards Earth 
spinning, giving off a dark light. You could see its speck in the noon sky just when the catastrophe was inevitable, the left eyebrow beginning to twitch. As the apocalypse was unfolding, the missiles rising in their silos, the lids opening like advent calendar windows in the cornfields. As the wind gathered force, the leaves showed a blank inner side. As the child walked from the swing in tears, we found ourselves addicted to watching. We watched each other make love. We watched the egg descend, glittering into the skillet and harden. We watched the dog who gazed back from the doorstep, his leash in his mouth. The polls say we are losing by a point in Iowa. In North Carolina, the race is tightening. Nevada is too close to call. Ohio is falling, but within the margin of error. It's a strange gift we chose for us. Every second contains the future. A blink holds the night sky. Each breath has its own forever. The tap drips, we stare. At night, we hear ourselves pray. sat in front of cable news. I swear we each thought of holding hands. After 20 minutes, we began to fidget. She excused herself to the bathroom. I chose to take a call. I buried my eyes in my cell. Our city had grown so silent. Where were the ambulances, the low-flying jets? The car passed with a wide loose band child cried in the next building. I have to go, my mother said, home to feed my Maltese. I helped her into her coat and found her gloves. We hugged a little stiffly. I heard her steps diminish in the corridor. I tore myself away and followed her. She was old, old. I rode the elevator down. Were our streets ever so dark? The lamps were shining with a prissy glare that disclosed nothing, that smudged whatever it touched. But I saw a silhouette with her adamant shuffle and followed it into the cold. I watched from a block away as she hailed a cab, clambered in gingerly, lit a cigarette, and began chatting. The car sped away from so it is long ago, I thought. She can smoke and flirt. Perhaps I am not even born yet. And I began walking endlessly in a vast city. Doors flew open, and the faces there were the children who died in Birmingham, in Lowndes County, in Neshoba, in Mississippi. But the high windows
is another character called Imago. Imago means, it has a couple dictionary definitions, the final and fully developed stage of an insect or the idealized mental image of someone, especially a parent, that you might carry around. Marvels and identity one. Imago was elected this morning. In the gray hour before dawn, the last firewall crumbled. A street drunk moans in ecstasy or shame. Close your eyes. Imago controls the House, Senate, Supreme Court. Open them. Just sunlight on a blind. As a dropped bulb shatters, so my country. The poet will defend herself with poetry. The lover with sex. The child with marbles and a dead key. The suicide with suicide. But if you choose to kill yourself, find a quiet room in the past. Tonight, your life is required. One of my favorite poets. His books for sale in the back, by the way. You should check those out. The anthology is not for sale yet, so you might as well spend your money on Dennis Nurse's poetry. Our first reader of the open mic, who is not named Dennis Nurse, just walked in the room and uh, he is pulling his poems out now as I speak. We'll see if he's ready. Give it up for Sophit Bektesevich. Outside the city, I decided to face the destiny of my original sin and return to this city of mirrors where I was born. After a decade, I will be able to make a compilation of all the particular types of beasts that for the way I speak, are certainly attracted to me. <laughs> the first type of beast that you should be warned about inhabits the north region full of mountains of college, and specifically the caves of the English as a second language classes. They are originally from Seattle, Washington, a place that accord, according to them, and that in which according to them, everyone looks exactly the same. They have this strange tendency of treating their students in their, their students in their class 
like if they are personally sorry that we are that we were not able to grow up speaking English because you know the universe is intrinsically unfair. They treat us as if speaking our mother language is an immediate and inequivocal sign of having a very slow mind. But it's fine because they call their, their they call they calm their conscience down by believing that they are fully accepting us as what we are. Ignorant and uneducated. I accept you guys as what you are. Look how what a kind person I am. They never take time to explore if any of us writes poetry or study with the Jesuits because that's something that we apparently are not allowed to be or to do. The second species inhabits uh, the forest and uh, expresses that and no, it's a part of, uh, sorry about that. But it has the same covers, but the same covers, and express and speaks English in a Puerto Rican accent and expresses that every Latino family considers washing the dishes, that with washing the dishes is more important than doing college works. College work. They say this as if the problem of that of this is the problem of Latinos families in front of everyone. And everyone has said this brutal statement that insults me to no end as a self-evident truth. Probably they are they probably they are still lamenting this fact, even though I'm sure that many generations of Latinos have long ago picked up books and forgot the dishes. Right, Cervantes? The dirt species inhabit the forest of Tandel Manhattan, and as such, they appear and disappear without anyone calling them. They are the cynical ones. The way they communicate to you with you is a very big smile. So where are you from again? So what do you do? But don't reply to them because once you reply, they are going to look the other way. <laughs> and seriously, don't mention mythology like Picasso, Hemingway, the Museum of Modern Art, because they are going to look cynically interesting. But they are not going to be familiar with this type of strange, exotic, if you will, but definitely and hear of things from your own weird culture. Finally, there is still another species which inhabits almost every place. Uh, it's, a, it's a very delicate and sensible one. Uh, so, so sensible and so delicate that when you speak to them in the way I'm speaking to you right now with my accent, they are going to look at you with the expression of all the fears that there are in the world, as if speaking English with an accent is terrifying. Uh, the way I pronounce words in English is certainly sinister. I'm personally, <laughs> I'm personally still waiting for the moment where I go, where, where I speak out aloud a poem about love in a mic, and every single person in the room lives the, lives. The, leaves the room either freaked out or in anger, and I, of course, not gonna know why. <laughs> I have a point for. I have time for another point. That's a, that's time. That's Thank you, Safet. That was Safet Pekhtesevich. Our next reader is wearing 
a very good t-shirt. You'll see what I mean. Good up for Charlene Buena. Because uh, I met her last week, 
and she was not on the list. It's a good conversation with the bar. I felt bad. She didn't get to read. This, this night she was definitely getting to read, so I'm making it extra special for her. We give it up for Adriana Golfredo. Jason. Hi, everybody. Um, okay. All right. This one I tried to memorize, so, but I'm going to read it from the paper. Right? <laughs> it's called Without a Trace. And he leaves again without a trace. He needs to erase all the pain etched on her face. He lied, told her he loved her, treated her like such a disgrace. Her heart, it still aches. She thought it was the real deal. She always based it on the way he made her feel. It was all fake. He admitted he'd made a grave mistake. Take a step back, stare out at the lake, the well of emotions he can't seem to face. And he is filled with doubt, trying to escape her love and find the easy way out. Thought he knew what love was all about until he dipped low and she found out. He was some other girl's full-time beau. But he didn't want to abuse her, so instead he just used her, made her feel cheap, all the while attempting to be so discreet. He knew he was a creep for playing her like a fiddle. This is a triangular riddle that doesn't have a happy end. He begged, he pleaded, he tried to mend, but once something is permanently broken, the only thing left is the end. So he leaves again without a trace. Thank you. As I like to say after poems like that, fuck that guy. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag yeah. fuck that guy. <laughs> Next up uh, is someone who just got a haircut, so uh, make her feel good about that. Pick <laughs> up for Alex Sarah Giorgio. Mosaic. 
brilliant machinery, heavy fists. The charge, brief, not like technology, more like I was born out of a brilliant blood. What I mean is, think of the impact. They're there, child. Two. I see each moment in my mind, and it's immaculate. The bed, the white, the shuffling steps. I do think of weight, but of a different kind. Weight like prayer beads, robes so priestly they're dragged and caked in mud. Instead, weight like water everywhere. At least now there is time. Three. My mother is discussing my eyelids. Her voice comes and goes as only voices know how. Look, she says, can you tell when they're fluttering? I can't. Then again, the question isn't for me. None of them are. Mother, can you see the water? It's hovering above my chest. My ears, they've been ringing. Mother, do you hear the ringing? Four. We were told that hell would be eternal quivering fire. This was in school. This was the order of fear. Instead, hell so brutally ordinary. Hell knocking you down in one hasty blow. Five. At first I tried to keep count. My father whispering goodnight, the bed trembling with stifled howls, eventually the lights dimming or not. The sudden realization that my face is still there, heavy each morning with new wrinkles. A concern not altogether superficial, though admittedly trivial considering. Still, this is not about my face, my body, the inevitable rushing forward. Rather, this is about the cleverly composed dramatic irony. Six. Today's debate, the space I occupy. My body in the third person, devoid of significance until it is disposed of. The nurse is explaining the process of cremation, and I expect it to attain a brilliant ending. My body unraveling in a helical pattern to reveal a solid artichoke heart. Yet when my body is consumed, I am not left with much, and if I am, they wouldn't know where to find it. The artichoke heart, the solid remainder. I am all remainder already, and as such, I face the difficult task of locating my existence. Seven. The radio is tuning in and out of static. That, or I'm dreaming of oceans again. Each dream increasingly lucid, or this room in my mind less and less so. I'm thinking of those early morning selling steps to the bathroom sink, taken only to discover my body still asleep. It's like that, minus the waking up. Constant radio static. My brain has become an ocean view motel balcony, a hazy morning spent under the covers, alert and blissful states melding into one. The difference being, I now cling to the distinction. And if I find myself embracing the undeniable letting go of awareness, it holds on to me steadier still. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. That was Alex Sergiorgio. Before that, we had Charlene, oh, sorry, Adriana Gofredo and Charlene Guerna and Safa Bekesevich. Our next reader is Harvey Sauce. Give it up for Harvey.
that might have served as a bird feeder had he hung about any longer, all askew, almost unrecognizable as usual. Tortured, beaten, gender-free, whipped into a smoothie by swaggerers who gave him a lift. McKinney and Henderson of nearby Laramie. Fellow students shifting the clutch away from neutral into ill intention, a queer killing mechanism. Perhaps his wounds dripped HIV on those who beat him as a last defense against the hate they hit him with. He had the HIV. Their lawyers, of course, would later claim simple robbery gone wrong, a natural enough reaction in Marlborough country, the land of time for robbery, saying Matthew Shepard's hand touched the knee. That their clients, good old boys, went queer crazy as anyone might whose knee was brushed by a faggot. They call Wyoming the Equality State. Not much of a nickname. Not so billboard terrific as the big sky state of Montana next door, showing little imagination somewhat lacking for a license plate. Still, the murder of Matthew Shepard caught our attention and held it. Meet the press and a prairie home companion wanted to know, as did we all, when the thin blonde homo was left to die, left hanging there, where, pray tell, was the equality, the companionship in that. Two life sentences consecutive to Phyllisville. The bludgeoner McKinney without hope of parole. In a penitentiary walled and windowed and wide as a cornfield, where they couldn't be, wouldn't be, picked apart by crows. To write a sonnet this morning, take one in 50 years, it's about right. <laughs> um, and actually, I finished it, Gifford's finished it, if I can read my own handwriting, uh, just a few minutes ago. It's called Leaving for Winter Recess, Moscow, Idaho. Suddenly, the car we bet on staggers. Whiteout hammers it with lead loaded gloves. The punch its lights out. Us swaggers off to air, blowing kisses fat as doves. Traffic chaos surrenders, belt and crown, stunned full of snow globe refugees. Only Morse of brake lights confirms we're not alone. Black obscures windshields, fogs our arteries. Laid flat, we're too bruised for conversation, too little serious to break our silence. Weather druids trope down incantations. Full do-overs promising fresh violence. N. Bonaparte, 
the gates of Moscow, we beg to leave, but have no idea how. Ah, our next poet has been suffering with me this weekend. She's from Cleveland. We had a great week last week, and then just, it was terrible. Yesterday was legitimately terrible. Uh, this doesn't concern any of you, so I'm just going to introduce her now. Give it up for Donna Hunt. Of his prior worlds clicking. 
My alien can't kiss me because it doesn't have a mouth. In this sense, my alien makes me feel pornographic. Or like Richard Gere, I can't decide which. Two, I used to fuck a human. <laughs> the kind who pees hard and orange. He belonged to another century with the name to match. Our timeline was hardly aligned, something more complicated I'd rather not plot. Our date, which I suppose was our first, involved baguettes in 14th century Paris. He knew I was a sucker for medieval European history. He hadn't apparently ever studied the subject himself. I left him at the will of the Black Death. That was the last time I fucked a human. <laughs> when my alien came, it came in a fog that smelled the way bubble wrap feels. I often let my alien hotbox the bedroom with his former atmosphere so its sequins will sparkle, so it stays in my cosmos. I can last seven minutes before fainting. Four, when my alien comes, it comes in a cloud that tastes like public transportation. It sparkles flattened to stale slime. It has even cut itself a mouth. Kissing it is like an asthmatic playing the harmonica. It can't speak with this new mouth, and for that I am relieved. <laughs> life, life has congealed to my worst fear, commonness. If you told me a decade ago that alien assimilation would lead to my quarter-life crisis, I would have believed you. My likeness to Richard Gere is now out of the question. Five, I am not a one alien woman. This discovery leads to excessive space snubbing, a habit I picked up from my former alien. It appears some vices are intergalactic. I suppose, at a cellular level, we crave ingestion as cure. I say this as I vomit a comet into the toilet on my knees, which makes me feel pornographic and hypocritical. I'm feeling very human lately. I must either staple my, my mouth shut or leave. At night, I watch the sparkle behind the moon. My cheeks get hot and pink. I tell myself that objects are closer than they appear in the space shadows. I tell myself that sparkles are crisper than the greens and blues. I dial my brightness up, all the way up, for my exorbitant life in that sparkle in the black. I'm not a one-world woman. I wipe the space snuff from my nose. I've always had bankrupting taste. Okay, definitely one of the poets. <laughs> well done. Richard. It's just great to have Richard. Richard Gere, along with aliens, of course. Uh, next up, the man of the hour, uniform Richard Fine.
Not a butterfly dreaming. Not a butterfly dreaming, for I have only a whimsy of light. And were I to alight on a blossom, the pollen would make me sneeze. Besides, I've often seen my true dreamer, not as a jeweled winged butterfly fluttering among flowers, but as a reflection of my smudgy bedroom mirror. He snores, needs a shade, and clean underwear. I even hear his stomach gurgling, which explains my constant gas. I can't poke him awake, for I have no substance in his world. He is, after all, just the reflection of me. Or am I merely his dreamtime citizen? If so, then I wish he had more wet dreams. Is he God? How could I possibly be in God's dreams? Besides, God would be dreaming all, all of you up also. And not even Satan deserves such a hideous punishment. <laughs> but I am someone, but I am someone's dream. That someone there lying on the bed laughing. He always dreams of comedy. And that's my nightmare. <laughs> Otherwise, what is before the court is a 
tale told by an idiot. So decreed the appellate judges in so many words. But for hundreds of years, there have been no such ideas who could, no such idiot, excuse me. But for a hundred years, there have been no such idiots who can make room on paper for Frostdale tried and tried again innovations. Except for that one new American taking his first steps onto an American shore. Poor Hyman slipped back into obscurity. Just one of those wannabe Thomas Edison's whose lukewarm genius was worn down to rubber plates that were easily that were easily blown off paper, leaving barely the faintest smudge. Thank you. That was Richard Fine. To recap, before that was Kelly Ginn with Garter, Donna Hunt. <laughs> She just like Lulu yourself. That was great. <laughs> Harvey Sauce. Now, we're not above Lulu ourselves. <laughs> Alex Sarajargo. I'm pretty sure that's one thing I've never done. Hey, <laughs> man, full of data. Yeah, well, we'll try it out. <laughs> um, I let other people do the arts, you know, it's, it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on. Our next poet of the evening is a very good poet. You know how these introductions go. Give it up for Abby Conklin. to my 
spirited relationship with my little brother. Um, and I had a moment a few weeks ago where a song came on the radio, and the opening lines were, I wish I had met you further along, gave you my older heart, still and strong. And it was absolutely a love song. But all I could think was, God, I wish I had met my brother later so I could be more for him than I am now. So this poem is called For My Brother. I wish I had met you further along, gave you my older heart, still and strong, from the band Wild River. I wish I had met you further along, tired and creaking, ready to rest our thin bones and earth, playing mahjong or whatever we'll be doing with the other tired, creaky folks in the year 2075. Our hearts would hiccup occasionally, and you'll smile, wry. Recall aloud a long time ago when you felt those stoppages day and night and woke up wild at 2 a.m., convinced of paralysis during the years of illness. I would press a hand over your hand, over the cage of your heart. The silence between us would fill with a susurrus. All the lives we had had to live without each other. I would listen. for the Poets Bridge plug. Why are you all leaving? Come back. I like guilting people. They start running down the stairs faster. That's fine. You can leave. I really don't care. <laughs> um, Poetsbridge.org, if you don't know about it, join. Every day we feature a poem of the day and a book of the week. Guess what's book of the week this week on the bridge? Yeah, it is. It's great. You can just plug yourself on the bridge. It's like, if, if, yourself. Yeah, exactly. That's one way. I will move myself. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> that was an interesting tone. We can talk about that later. Next up, Isaac Myers III. Give it up for Isaac. of the romantic heart and mind. Young men, New York, 18 for everything, soirees for everyone. First time, university on scholarship. Cheering click and flash, stiff jazz, solo women in love. One evening plague and courtship, endless wife after work, mascara. East River, accuracy bonds, the promenade, Brooklyn Heights. Summer hazelnut, coffee, winter, Book of letters unfulfilled briefly, the great distance love broken. Each month, thousands of young men move to New York for the first time. They are all 18 to 20 something. They are all ready for everything that the city has for them. It is rare that the coolness comes first. There she is, they say. There she is, and they fall in love with some her that they've found. Some act quickly, they speak directly and are rejected promptly. They move on to someone else, they succeed, they fail, they succeed. These men are the thrill-seekers. They attend soirees and dance at them. They buy rounds for everyone at the bar. They have friends that they cannot remember the names of. Often they were very good at some sport back home, the best in their school. 
They have arrived at University of New York on scholarship. They have practice in the morning. The big game is next weekend. They have seven women cheering for them and only them. They respond to deathly serious questions with gigantic smiles. It doesn't matter. They move at one million miles per hour. Their 20s click and flash by as an, as an extended guitar riff or stiff jazz trombone solo. Women fall in love with them in one evening. Women never want to speak with them again when it ends. They are the lucky ones. They learn to do better. They slow down. They push all of their chips into the center of the table. They lose. It's one game. They play again. They get back on their feet. There are men who move slowly and gradually. They have been well-trained in everything that is courtship. They make projects of women and attend to their various assignments with wondrous efficiency. They believe in numbers and persistence and patience. They wait, but they cannot sit still, waiting endlessly for one woman. These men are business majors. They endorse the proofs of averages and medians and means. They adopt these mechanisms into their lives. Subconsciously, they construct charts and graphs and Venn diagrams with titles such as how to most efficiently find a wife. They frequent Friday evening after work happy hour socials. The women there have perfect mascara. They tell stories of former professors and listen just close enough to these women's impressions of fashion or music or the favorite place in the city to watch the sun dip beneath the horizon. These men remember one thing that these women said the first time they met and make a point to bring it up the second time to show how closely they were listening to the entire time. <laughs> it works. Women fall in love with these men because they are reliable. They are consistent. They have plans and execute them with admirable accuracy. They have savings bonds and investments. These men go on dates. Arm in arm with these women, they walk the promenade that sits between Brooklyn Heights and the East River. If it is summer, they show these women their favorite spot for ice cream. They insist on ordering two cones and two scoops of the hazelnut toffee. They say it's the only flavor. If it is winter, they know just the coffee shops warp for it after dinner. These men have good, strong jobs in an industry. They're not afraid to talk shop with these women. They're not aware that these women are bored by such talk. At times, these women themselves are not aware that such talk bores them. <laughs> it is rare that they speak with the men who fall madly in love with one woman. These men are repeatedly well proud that the long last found her. There she is, they say, and all at once he's looking for anyone else. She becomes their one great enterprise. These men have ideas about the world. They are always about to make their mind up about something. They are mischaracterized as hopeless romantics and mislabeled as dreamers. They cease being able to see the beauty of other women. The sight of her is a jolt to their entire aura. They become, they become intertwined with someone whom they know just enough about. They fill, in, they fill in all that is unknown with incomprehensible beauty. They offer careful hints. Months, if not years later, they make absolute and unshaking declarations of desire. Twelve unsolicited, home, twelve unsolicited homes, a book of letters to their beloved, one shame-filled plea that their unfulfilled prayer for love is met. They admire from a great distance and allow their relentless imaginations to produce beautiful realizations of their long-awaited union with their beloved. Then one evening before their eyes, it all shatters. Another man has his arm around her, kisses her dearly. She has missed his hints. These men bury the thought of her so briefly. The next morning, they write the first seven pages of the book that will bring her back. Their desire renewed, they prepare for her return. Women, fall, women, women who fall in love with these men love them eternally. But there, but there comes one great sweeping and all-encompassing and unavoidable catch. These men, with all of the innocence and vibrancy and uncertainty of their youth, are impossible to fall in love with. They are broken by women often. They need time. A romantic heart and mind need maturing.
Thank you, Isaac. That's good. That was, uh, I looked at my girlfriend halfway through that poem. <laughs> Steady job, right? <laughs> she was like, wow. Uh, is Bonnie Belay here? I didn't think so. Gabriel Victor Cummings is here, isn't he? That's right. So maybe have you checked that I saw you signed up. I could have tested you, but I didn't. And you would have failed. Give it up for Gabriel Victor Cummings. self-portrait on motherhood, filling in all the details left incomplete like primary coats on canvas. They added vibrancy and steady lines to her unfinished image and gave me closure in a visceral sense. I'm compelled to recall the women who smuggled in fragments of color and saturation to this fading homage to maternal love, especially those who intervened before the paint decided to dry. I stare and stare for hours at my biological blueprint until I begin to identify the impressions left by the voices of my past. Their sound waves on patience and affection seem to clash with the etches of her screams, which appeared without permission. Sublimation seemed to remove the solid splotches of paint where her heart had been. I'm gratified by all the painters who filled this void since ultimately trust dies in darkness. I thank them for erasing the subject and predicate of mother went away, which appeared as a repeating motif. Near the top, I'm stupefied over how addiction took its toll on the earthly lines that bordered her mind. Below sits her dawn-trodden eyes, which forced me to look away momentarily. Her image appears blurry as had she had been paste, painted hastily before she had disappeared as a sitting model for affection. I stare and profusely review a boy's love for shadows which haunt my mind like unrequited potential energy. Naturally, one reflects on the time lost and begins to peel back the various layers of this illustration until they reach the first draft. I see the scaffolding and maternal construction beams that made her a newborn mother. I witness her love burning bright like a supergiant star only momentarily. I get a sense of her warm and nurturing smile, but this ephemeral glee quickly disappears since beneath this layer, only gesso on canvas remain. Here, I absorb my tender surprise with unarticulated regret. Thank you. So this next one, I'm reading Handmaid's Tale, my girlfriend lent it to me, and uh, it's very good so far, and uh, I'm excited for the show. 
hopefully it does the book justice. <clears throat> the paper powder sky is not a made thing. I gazed along parentheses of sky above the muted magic in the form of condensation and question its distribution of opportunity. How can this fragile ceiling support the eternal dance between bright and night? I balance atop the evening breeze just to listen to their daily oscillations between silence and sleep. These faint whispers reverberate like tendrils on a glassy sea. I try and try to pry the blood orange from the moon just to hold something true. Unsuccessful, I lower my radar and begin to scan for the morning star, hoping I can confide in another being made of borrowed light. Thanks. Gabriel, good height. <laughs> Next up, we have Bill Considine. Give it up for Bill. It's okay, Arthur. Thank you. It's great. A uh, couple poems on darkness for some reason. This is called Darkening Hour. Under, around, above, a swaying chandelier, dogs on ceiling and walls are shadows from each lit bulb. That's a memory of parties on livelier nights elsewhere. Here, the inset ceiling lights leave dim aqueduct arches. Evening. And inside the current radiating light, home may yet waver, flicker, and fade. The hanging shaded lamp sheds one large circle overhead, a pale moon with edges in penumbral blur. The march of darkness has come around again with no good answers, only patterns to ponder. What does darkness represent? A time beyond what lights allow? Only where the hours went? Or what encroaches now? And then, uh, oh, And this one's a, a villanelle, and so it has that uh, repetitive patterning, I, I hope, or here. Uh, <laughs> what windows? What windows will not tell is whether tossing thunder slept while light shattered and fell. Within, where children dwell, restless dreams like raccoons crept where windows will not tell. Wake up, dear child, say all is well. Vows of solemn silence were kept while light shattered and fell. Outside are vacant lots to sell. How hard the absent wept, closed windows cannot tell. Unuttered darkness does repel broader visions. We have to respect the way light shattered and fell. Still, ion dust clouds will dispel, believe it, and eagerly expect strange tales that windows could tell 
once the last light shattered and fell. Thank you. Trying to pick up the pace. Thank you, Bill. That was Bill Considine. Before that, Gabriel Victor Cummings, Isaac Myers III, Abby Conklin, and Richard Fine. Is Tamara Lee here? Okay, next up is a poet who was in the Broken Poets Anthology. Very exciting. Give it up for Del Lemon. to write a nature poem, so this is, a, this is my nature poem. Nature and art. I used to love nature and I was afraid of cities, but now I live in cities and I've lived in them for most of my life. I live in cities because I'm an artist and I need to be with other artists. I went to an art school in the city and I missed the country at first, but I couldn't believe the people I was meeting in art school, how talented they were. I had never met people like that before. Like Nina, we met while acting together in a play. She had a nice boyfriend who refused to hit me when a deranged directing student insisted that he try hitting me in rehearsal. There's nothing in this script that suggests my character would hit her. <laughs> I've seen him on television since then, and I always turn to the television and thank him not <laughs> The last time I saw Nina, she was waitressing in an outdoor cafe on the Upper West Side. We shrieked in delight at the sight of each other. She confided that she was struggling with auditions and the acting life. So I guess she and her boyfriend moved to Los Angeles, and last I heard, she was head of CBS Television Entertainment. One talented person has led to the next, and that's how I've survived and thrived. I love nature because it inspired me and made me appreciate beauty and want to tell the truth about things. Nature led me to art, and art led me to cities, and people are art and nature in cities. Somehow the pursuit of truth and goodness is connected to beauty, but don't ask me how. Ask Plato or Keats or Dickinson or Wolfe. Made out of ordinary things as it was, was the truth now. Beauty, that was truth now. Beauty was everywhere. Thank you, Dell. It's going on. They're escaping. Stop them. Watch the doors. Pets upon you. Enjoy your weeks. <laughs> Thank you for blowing a kiss. Um. The way you said connecting, <laughs> I thought you said the secret to truth and beauty was Connecticut, which uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting. It was like, to commute to Connecticut to work, uh, it felt like that was true. Next up, the author of the year, give it up for Arthur, <laughs> Arthur, give it up for Arthur Russell. <laughs> They don't know what they missed by leaving. Yeah, it's great. No, 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 no. Don't, they don't know what they missed by leaving. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. And I gotta tell you, this first one is not going on the offcast. In fact, I'm forbidden to remember it after it's over. 
Omitted. Thank you. The second one, Kevin. Or different. I humped a car. <laughs> I humped a car. I did it more than once. When I worked at a car wash. While the car rolled by, my job was to dry the grill, hood, roof, trunk lid, and the back bumper. I had to lean over to reach the middle, and my groin was rubbed on the fenders and doors, which protruded in those days. I would get an erection from that action. And sometimes encourage it <laughs> by discreetly pumping the car. <laughs> that was my life. <laughs> this is somewhat different. She woke at the start of the hemorrhagic stroke that shoved aside her loves and prejudice together with her subtle fashion sense and every index of the orderliness that she professed. Feeling hot alarm behind her ear, she pushed the button on the life alert lanyard and the nurse's voice came louder than expected from the nightstand terminal. I wonder whether my mother tried to joke with her, as if to shield the nurse from worry, as she might have done if my sister had called on a plane Wednesday, or whether the flood of blood had announced its bad intention so doubtlessly that pleasantries she otherwise insisted on gave way to frank admission of intimate fear. The terminal nurse would have stayed with her until the ambulance arrived, encouraged her to drink some water, put her keys in her purse, and unlock the front door now in case, as it did, it got worse and worse. As who she was and where blew black across her mind. The pantry cans and boxes, row on row that marked her place, her library of linens, handbag hooks behind the bedroom door, perfume bottles bottled up and senseless, utility bills and annuity statements in colored files in the lower left-hand drawer of the desk that faced the intercoastal waterway, blew black across her mind. The boy with the cleft palate who called her Tulip the cigarette ashes they tipped in her girlfriend's shoes, the green and black tiles in Sylvia's bathroom, laughing at a comic in the Catskills with her sister, and the fake fox fur that her husband banished from his car, and the bitter refrain of marriage blew black across her mind. 
the part of her that liked butter cookies and hot black coffee and crossword puzzles blew black across her mind. When we arrived that afternoon, like three unmagi, children grown with failures of our own to tend, to find her washed up on that hospital bed with breathing tubes and a wedding ring and monitors creating the illusion of the life that had already tumbled from her body, my sister at the bedside held her hand, IV and all. I took pictures of the names of drugs written in marker on the velvet bags, and my little brother, in a folded forward slump, sat in a chair further from the curtain and cried. And so we attended until the hospice lady came, and then we were ourselves again. Thank you. Arthur, who leaves. <laughs> Arthur will be reading at the lunch party Thursday of next week. <laughs> We're on to the wait list. It's already pretty late. I'm going to ask everyone on the wait list that I'm going to call up here to read your best poem. Your best poem. <laughs> that would be interesting. The best half of your poem. You can read the whole best poem. Uh, our next reader is our wonderful intern, give it up for Tess Congo. Architecture of affection, lie, 
adjacent long enough, she'll use your arm as a pillow. Say, I will return. I will not drop you. Rise and drop her. Fall just after. Put lip to lip her back on bricks. Turn in five minutes to see what few stars are in the sky. Let her wear your glasses. Funny, she can see better now. You can't. Press her against paneling. Study every mark, curve, and color. Each earned line in her face. Think of both views as a map. In dim night, your skins are inked and shaped, delineated by moon. Oceans of murk shade cheek and chest, shoulders arc, jagged and up like mountains. Ask the obvious. Watch the water smile, tired, and shrug to home shore. Impressions of hammock ropes curl like borders of a charm. Keep within them a thin, late light. It illuminates all lands. Do this. Contain what you can't capture. Pen what you can't Thank you, gentlemen. I'll be talking to John. Oh, he's getting into his son. This is like the sweetest. There's no smooching, but it's very cuddly. Uh, <laughs> is Lex Rocket here? Oh, really? Such a great name for a poet, Lex Rocket. <laughs> Our last poet of the evening also has a, a solid name. Uh, possibly great. It's not quite as like cartoonish as Lex Rocket. Anyway, give it up. Your warmest thigh applause welcome for Matt Proctor. Nobody else pimped anything. I'm not going to come out. And... Well, I do I do have a reading. April... <laughs> Thank you. Arthur made me do it. April 21st at the Tip Top. I've never been there. It's a really cool place. It's a great place for poetry reading. It's sort of like a BA lodge. They got cheap beer. Come on out. It's going to be wild. It's in Crown Heights, I think, in the border of Bed-Stuy. Um... Very hip, very cool, wild energy there. Tip top. Yeah, April 21st. If you actually come, I'd be so thankful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, end of forever. It's at 432 Franklin <laughs> Avenue. <laughs> on Madison Street in Brooklyn. You want to be my hype man? Yeah, just yeah, everywhere. Gonna... <laughs> All right. End of forever. Soho evening, large pink chunk of light on the church across Prince. If there was a terrorist attack, it'd probably be here. <laughs> now, McNally Jackson, Saturday evening, me and a bunch of professionals at cafe tables. Kim Kardashian got robbed last night in her and Kanye's Paris apartment. Twitter was a flutter. Between her and Trump, the characters were busy. I'm glad she wasn't hurt. 
Everyone agrees the world's gone from bad to worse. Things of permanent consequence are starting to occur. I used to watch the video for Bound 2 and think about us. The bass placed me back in college, last chode on the dance floor at the bro bar, thirsty Thursday, eking it out to a reiterating Akon. My college experience, dollar pitchers, sorority finance majors looking for an alpha and a popped collar. I want to fuck you hard on the sink. Kanye speaks for manic, depressive, art bro, narcissist dropouts everywhere. Kim, as Kim K rides his high-handed Harley through synthetic Lycra, Lisa Frank, Cyber Sky. Thing about the Dark Ages is still they go on. Do you remember seeing a part of the light clunking to be born? I do. Okay, thank you, Matt. That is the end of our evening. Let me run through the readers. So you can vote, should you so desire. That was Matt Proctor, of course. Before that was John Marr. Before that was Tess Congo. Arthur Russell, Del Lemon, Bill Considine, Gabriel Victor Cummings, Isaac Myers III, Abby Conklin, Richard Fine, Kelly Gay McCarter, Donna Hunt, Harvey Sust, Alex Giorgio, Adriana Gofredo, and Charlene Guerna. Sophitbeck Tesevich. The number once again is 718-374-1953. It feels like the infomercial hour, does it not? 718-374-1953. Please vote once. Don't don't text bomb me many times. Uh, a couple of announcements before we go. Of course, next Thursday of next week. Really know the proper way to say that. April 20th. The Brooklyn Bows Anthology Launch Party tickets are available online. You can also get them from me right now. This Thursday, uh, which is like three days later, April 13th, we have another event. Can you believe it? There's another event between this one and next thir Thursday of next week. The Brooklyn Poets Reading Series uh, will be right back here. Ocean Vaughn, Catherine Pierce, and Tina Kane. It's going to be a fantastic reading. That is free, so you have really no reason to come unless you're like drinking somewhere outside, in which case go for it. Thank you to Dennis Nurksey for leading our workshop. Let's give him a big round of applause. Dennis looks like he is very ready to leave. <laughs> I appreciate you staying. Uh, thanks for coming. Look for the Yobcast. Please take your cups and stuff downstairs. Uh, we'll see you in May. Good night. Thanks very much for listening to the Yawpcast for our April 10th, 2017 Yawp Open Mic, featuring former Brooklyn Poet Laureate D. Nerksy. Thanks again to Dennis for leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. We appreciate you because you're amazing. Congrats to Kelly Ginn McCarter for winning Yawp Poem of the Month 
for her poem, I Broke Up With an Alien. Kelly won Poem of the Month by audience vote. This was her second Yop open mic, I believe, so that's pretty incredible. This following on the heels of Yun Wei winning Yop Poem of the Month in March at her Yop debut. So, uh, pretty impressive performances by Yun Wei and Kelly in the Garter these last couple of months. Both of them have earned a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown coming your way on December 11th, 2017. That's the December Yop on the second Monday of the month as usual. That might seem like a long way away, but it will arrive sooner than you think after we have some summer days and beach time and rooftop cocktails, hopefully. If you don't know, the Brooklyn Poets Anthology mentioned in the Yopcast launches two days from now as I'm recording this on Thursday, April 20th at Smack Melon and Dumbo. Tickets are still on sale at the advance sale prices. I urge you to get a ticket. We're expecting over 150 guests. We've already got that many RSVPs, so it's going to be a big party. Hopefully the party of the year. It's going to be a good time. It's a great book. There's 170 poets in it. Many of them will be in the house, so come out for that. Unless you got something better to do on a Thursday night in Brooklyn. The next Yop comes your way on Monday, May 8th, at 61 Local, of course, in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street, off the Bergen Street FG stop. Brooklyn Poets Professor Simone Carney will be leading the Yop workshop and kicking off the open mic, so we look forward to that. For more information about the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. And that is all. For our April Yopcast. Enjoy the rest of National Poetry Month. We hope to see you at the launch for the Brooklyn Poets Anthology. If you can't make it, buy the book online, buy it at one of our events. We're really excited about this book and hope that it reaches many readers. Thanks for listening. We will see you at the next Yop, hopefully, or you'll be hearing from me again next May for the May Yopcast. Be well.